So as long as it's fair, as long as it's voluntary, inequality is fine. Inequality is great. We want those who succeed to be more rewarded than those who destroy value. But in the sense of our current environment, we have really sinister inequality. If everybody, you know, if, if the water's flowing and everyone is benefiting, right? Everyone's cup is filled. Um, people are happy, right? They have better things to do than to line up outside of someone's house and threaten to chop their head off. You know, I, I don't think we should be setting up guillotines anywhere. And that's, that's why I love Bitcoin. It's the peaceful revolution, right? Um, but why do people want to set up these guillotines? Because they know the system isn't working. Um, it's not working for them. And despite, you know, working very hard at, um, at many jobs and climbing the ladders, it's still, uh, you know, the, the prospects for retirement, uh, even even the ability to afford a home today is, is just, it, it, it's, it's outside of the reach of so many very hardworking Americans. The system is not serving them. Uh, this, the system stratifies wealth uh, through asset inflation and uh, in disproportionate access to, to assets. Hello and welcome to the Tucson Blockchain Podcast. Today I have on Sheila Weinberg from Truth and Accounting. She's the founder and CEO and feels that it's really important for average individuals to understand the government numbers. Our governments are broke and that's what I really learned from this conversation. And we talk about the implications that this has on normal people and the future ahead. I hope you enjoy. And we're recording. Welcome, Sheila. Uh, so thanks for having quick, me. Quick, I did a bit of research on you. So you are the founder and CEO of Truth and Accounting, which is a nonpartisan American think tank. Um, and it sounds like you do a lot of auditing the government when it comes to their numbers. Um, well, we look at the government's audited financial statements and. Uh, and try to and put those uh, try to find the more truthful numbers because some of the numbers that they're reporting isn't quite as truthful as they could be or upfront. Um, so we restate the numbers. Uh, for example, years ago they used to not put their pension and retiree health care liabilities on their balance sheets. So we went ahead and we go ahead and track those down um, and 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 do a simple two-page document that uh, people can read about their local, their governments. Yeah. And once you go to the website, which just has an infinite amount of good information, it can be pretty depressing when you look at the discrepancies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, it, uh, yeah, we have, uh, we actually have two websites. We have truthandaccounting.org, which has the depressing um, federal debt clock. And then we also have another website called data-z.org. And there you can find um, the federal financial state of the union, the financial state of the states. You can click on the map there and uh, go into each individual state and get their financial state of Arizona, financial state of Illinois. Then we also, you can click on cities and get um, the pop 75 most populated cities, financial state of the states. And then the most fun part you can do is go to create your own chart and you can compare states um, to each other on we have more than 700 data points in there and you can also do that for the 75 most populated cities that's awesome yeah that's a really fun cool tool to use 
Um, and I'll definitely be using that in the future on my, uh, on my journey. Um, so in going and, uh, recording and, and kind of challenging the official narrative around, uh, government financial statements, what, what is the goal of doing that? Well, you know, taking it away from the numbers, uh, we go back to um, an informed electorate. Um, so, you know, in order to decide who to vote, spending and policy decisions, um, uh, spending and tax decisions, you really need to know the true numbers. Um, and we really believe that our representatives' forms of governments are being diminished because citizens have not been told the truth. Um, so for example, in state and local governments, they'll say, hey, we balance the budgets. And they've been telling the citizens that for decades, everybody thought everything was going along fine. Um, they voted for people assuming they you know, were telling the truth that their budgets were balanced, but the governments were going into debt at the same time that they theoretically were balancing their budgets. So when people went to the voting booths and decided who to vote for, uh, they might have voted for somebody saying, oh, well, they're living within our means. Um, we'll continue to reelect those people. Or they might have, what if they had to truly balance their budget um, and, and report these hidden costs? Um, then they would have had to raise taxes, um, i.e. they would have lost votes, um, or they would have had to cut spending, i.e. they would have uh, lost votes. So citizens going into those voting booths um, think tanks trying to uh, get their policy um, through, um, just really don't have the information they need to be knowledgeable participants in their governments. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty apparent. Um, one of the things that I've found to be really clear on my journey um, in podcasting and, and just learning about what money is, is that uh, CPI uh, is one of the most inaccurate ways to measure inflation and yet it is the official metric um so there is a very obvious discrepancy between uh what's actually happening and what's being reported it mm -hmm. doesn't take doesn't take a whole lot to um kind of debunk cpi you can just ask a normal person how much more expensive have things gotten for you over the past 10 years and then you look at the cpi number and it's pretty um obvious that it's not accurate uh, why do you think that um, governments are so prone to fudging the numbers? Well, if you, if you think of an elected official, they want to get reelected uh, usually. Um, and so if you have to go to the uh, you know, taxpayers and say, well, in order to, you know, in order to fund the government that you're getting, we're going to have to raise your taxes, um, then they're not popular. Or if they have to, um, they can't offer expensive, you know, programs and uh, you know benefits like pensions and retiree healthcare benefits, or or just generally healthcare benefits. Um, if they have to had to report those numbers um, truthfully, then they might not get reelected. So it's easier just to hide the true cost of government. Don't include all your um, expenses, all your debt when you're calculating your budgets, and and then you know you have a greater chance to get reelected. Yeah. Government spending seems to be a growing, uh, a much more popular way to get elected and get attention nowadays. Yeah. And, and that's why the states do have balanced budget requirements. 49 of the states, everybody but Vermont have a balanced budget requirement. Uh, the 75 cities, most populated studies we um, 
We, cities that we studied have a balanced budget requirement, but in order to meet those requirements, they've been hiding debt. And the, but the reason they have those requirements is so that the governments don't go into debt. Um, and also for accountability. Um, there's a great quote by a former treasury official uh, called Frank Kavanaugh. And he said that the politicians shouldn't have the ability to spend, i.e. they're going to get a vote, without the pain of taxing, i.e. they're going to lose a vote. And that's why you have those balanced budget requirements. So as, you know, yeah, you're always gonna have people who want more government, more spending, more, you know, people like things for free, but the offset is the taxes. And if the governments would have had to raise taxes to cover these expanding governments, then people, you know, again, might not have voted for them. But as long as it didn't affect the people's pocketbooks, um, they just, the governments were allowed to expand, um, hide the cost of government and expand beyond what the citizens are willing to pay for. Yeah. One of the hidden taxes that I think isn't talked about, there's a lot of hidden taxes, but uh, one of the hidden ones that people aren't as aware of is inflation um, because that's, you know, what inevitably happens is when you um, don't raise taxes and you just print money and increase the deficit, increase uh, government borrowing, it devalues the purchasing power of the money in people's hands. So regardless, um, it seems like more spending creates taxes in a way. Um, and, and inflation is a politically easy thing. Um, you know, nobody, they don't have to vote on it. Um, it just, it just happens. The Federal Reserve prints extra money and, um, you know, people, it, it happens in slow increments. So people don't notice it, but yeah, yeah. But things get more and more expensive. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of a, a growing sentiment around uh, modern mon monetary theory, which is essentially, you know, the idea that we can print infinite amounts of money um, and not experience inflation. Uh, why, why do deficits matter to the normal well, person? Deficits matter because, you know, going back to that accountability, you know, the, the very most important thing. And, you, you know, if you talk to people, you're, they're just like, yeah, governments are out of control. Spending is out of control. Um, but that's because there's no offset. There's no, like, we're not paying the taxes to cover it. So people don't notice it. Um, if people were paying the taxes to cover um, these deficits, um, then they would go, hold it. Well, do we really want government that costs that much? Um, but by being able to, but these deficits just allow governments to expand beyond what people are willing to pay for. And you lose control out of, of the government. Yeah. Um, on your debt clock, it says that each taxpayer's share is coming up near a million dollars. It's $878,000. So if we were to attain a balanced budget, would that mean that we would each individually be responsible for that sum? Um, a balance, yeah, you have to look at budgets and you have to look at debt. A, a, a balanced budget is just what happens at one, during one year. Um, so, you know, mm -hmm. your, your, what you make uh, is, you know, your revenue equals your expenses um, and that, that theoretically is a balanced budget. Um, the debt is what, because they haven't balanced the budgets for years and years and years, they've made promises for years and years and years um, and not funded those. 
um, those all have accumulated into the national debt. Um, and we calculate that accumulation is uh, $137 trillion. Um, and as you say, it's more than $800,000 per taxpayer in the United States. And what yeah. and each taxpayer to get rid of that debt would yes they would have to write a check to Treasury, you know, for eight hundred thousand dollars in order to clear the debt that we've accumulated, plus to have enough money set aside to fund all of the promises that have been made to date, including Social Security and Medicare unfunded Social Security and Medicare promises. Kind of sounds like a big Ponzi scheme to me. Yeah, when uh, yeah when Enron happened and um, the 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 senators and representatives were kind of drilling Kenneth Lay, um, I you know and they were saying you know that you know this sounds you know what you did was a Ponzi scheme and you you know you you had these off balance sheet liabilities and and honestly a lot of things that they were you know um, saying that Ken Lay did um, they are doing themselves. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and it, it's, it's going to affect people personally, you, you know, you're back to well, how does it affect somebody personally? Well, people have, you know, done their planning and their financial planning based on that I'm going to get these, you know, I'm going to get Social Security, I'm going to get Medicare benefits. So, you know, has that limited people's savings because they know that theoretically the government's going to take care of them? Um, you know, their, their social security, and then they're, they're going to take care of their health care. Would people have saved more if they knew that they might not get this? Um, and, you know, the, in uh, very shortly, um, you know, the quote trust funds are going to run out and they're going to have to automatically cut social security and Medicare benefits. Um, and people, I don't think people have planned for that. No, uh, it's, it's pretty uh, wild to see the number of just normal Americans that have no s sort of retirement savings at all. And it's something that has really bothered me in my working career, working with uh, older adults that are having to work in their 70s, 80s, even later, um, just to be able to survive because Social Security doesn't cover their expenses. And I think it, it's in people's psyche that it does. Um, and people have, you know, they've, they've gotten away from, it kind of reminds me of uh, when I first started speaking on Social Security and Medicare and the national debt, I spoke to this group of um, elderly women. And, uh, you know, and I asked one of them, because I knew she'd lived through this. I said, you know, we used to have a government where people took care of themselves, they took care of their family, they didn't rely that the government is going to take care of me. You know, where did we get from, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to take care of myself and my family to the federal government owes me the Social Security and Medicare, and you can't cut it at all. And she said, you know what, when I was little, my family would travel on Sunday drives, we would go, and I think she was in horse and buggy, she was so old, they would go through the countryside and, and in their route, they would pass the local um, poorhouse. And not that I'm advocating for poorhouses, but um, her parents said, you will do whatever you can to not wind up in the poorhouse. You need to take care of yourself. And if you had a family member who was struggling financially, you took them in and took care of them. Um, and so, but, all of, and that poorhouse was that community's taking care of its own. And she said all of that sense of personal responsibility, 
family responsibility and community responsibility went away the day that they passed social security because it became, oh, I don't, I don't have to, I'm not responsible. I don't have to keep money for myself. My family, I don't have to keep money for my family. And the community, you know, it's all gonna be handled by that, that big box in the sky, the federal government, and all these personal responsibilities went away. Yeah, that's a really uh, interesting take on things. And one of the things that's uh, really a bummer is it's just not working whatsoever <laughs> you know like i live i live in tucson arizona which is a very poor city we have a, a poverty rate of about 25 percent and and when you look at the poverty um line it's just abysmal i, I can't even imagine uh living on that and so people are forced into being on every government program um that could possibly exist just to feed their kids um and it's just a it, it's kind of a trap and there's i i think that's one of the the things that's really hard about the um really changing the system or or is preventing us from ever getting to a point of balancing um budgets and cutting government program is we're forced in this you know these people would be left out to dry if we didn't do this um and it yeah, Feels people like become to, you know, they, 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 government has expanded um, to take care of a lot of people, and um, it's very difficult to uh, cut back on that. But it's been able to expand because people, you know, they've been able to, you know, increase government without having to charge people the taxes, and the taxes might have limited that increase. Yeah. Um, so my mom's a, a teacher in the Chicago area. And, uh, one of the things that's really scary about the Chicago area is the, uh, the pension system. Um, and I would say that's probably, uh, kind of a scary story for most of America right now. Um, what is going on with these unfunded pensions? Well, again, what happened uh, and it, you know, it always you know, it goes back to the balanced budget requirement. And you know, if you're an elected official, and you know, the teachers are wanting more and more compensation, well, if you you know, if you say, okay, we'll increase your pay, well, that um, increases your expenditures, and you then you have to other either cut other things or you have to raise taxes in order to balance their budget. But what they figured out was the pension scheme, it's a deferred compensation. I can go ahead and promise these people, you know, teachers benefits. I don't have to include those amounts in their budget. Um, I can fund those, whatever, you know, the CPS funds, I think a quarter, well, city of Chicago, I know funds a quarter of what they should. Um, so these, the, they underfund them. Um, and then the teachers have been promised them. And in Illinois, you can't cut them back. So you know, eventually the taxpayers are gonna be on the hook. Um, and if they would have had to fund these as they were promising them, um, then they might not have gotten out of control. But you know, if, if you leave it, you know, and, if, if, and previously, you know, we used to talk to you know, legislators and people about pensions and they're just like, you know 
but I really don't even understand, especially legislators. I was dumbfounded. They're just like, I really don't even know how those work. Um, and they, they didn't know that they needed to be properly funded. Um, so you have these elected officials who obviously, you know, usually are not financial people and they're managing tens of hundreds of billions of dollar pension plan systems um, without having the financial wherewithal to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on my journey of understanding money, I've definitely adopted a much more libertarian view of the government really has no responsibility in the economy. And I think that's, <laughs> that's part of the reason is they well, just don't. And, and even if you think about it, if, if you have legislators who are, um, you know, economically and financial, you know, have accountants, economists, uh, in the system and they understand, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm promising this benefit. I need to fund it. Um, and, and all of, you know, and understand the finances of it and try to make, you know, responsible decisions. But then even if you had all of those type of people in the legislature and the city councils, um, but then politics get in the way. Mm -hmm. Um, so in addition to, you know, legislators not having the financial savvy, even if they did, then they make decisions not based on what's best economically, they make decisions based on what's best politically. And unfortunately, or unfortunately, we elect people, you know, for a short period of time. So they're not thinking of, oh, well, I promised this employee a benefit, I don't fund it future taxpayers, oh, in decades to come, I don't need to worry about them. I need to worry about getting reelected now. So they make short-term decisions that have put these governments, you know, to have these huge pensions now that um, unfortunately they're getting so big that no, you know, people can't ignore them any longer. Yeah. So what does not ignoring them any longer look like? Well, it looks like Illinois. Um, you know, people used to ask me, you know, what's going to happen? You know, uh, you know, you're talking about all these numbers and, you know, it's bad to have this debt. It's bad not to balance your budget. What's going to happen if we don't balance our budget? And uh, fortunately, Illinois is now giving us real time, real life examples of what happens. So Illinois, you know, is um, they're the only state that during this crisis, they can't go to the markets and say, we need to borrow money because we're in horrible, you know, because of the pandemic, they're having to use some facility that the Federal Reserve has created. Um, don't ask me where the, I'm, the Federal Reserve is getting money to lend to Illinois. That's a whole nother topic. Um, and then also, you know, it's, it's affecting people personally. So let me give you two or three um, very simple uh, personal examples. So a few years ago, Illinois, again, keep in mind, they balanced their budget, but the way Illinois' budget is calculated, it says, the Constitution says, the funds available have to equal their expenditures. Notice how they're not saying revenues and expenses. Funds available have to equal um, uh, the expenditures. So now, if you borrow money, that becomes funds available. And so Illinois can go to this, use this Federal Reserve facility, borrow money, and they can still claim that they're meeting their balanced budget requirement. On the expenditure side, Illinois has between three and $10 billion of unpaid bills at any point in time um, from their vendors, um, from their hospitals, their copy comp copier company. Um, 
you know, billions of dollars of these bills. Um, a vendor can't, is, is, doesn't get paid for six to 18 months. They submit a bill, then they don't get, get paid for six to 18 months. It got so bad that the vendors said, hey, um, you guys, you need to pay us more timely. And they said, well, we can't, so we'll give you interest. So the state's paying 1% interest per month, 12% interest rate to these vendors um, because they're not paying their bills on time. That amount was in, in one of the years, it was so high that it was more than they were funding for universities. It was $300 million and it was more money than they were funding universities. And then a specific vendor example is that a vendor was providing the this, this, this state police with ammunition. And he said, you guys are so far behind, I'm not gonna give you more ammunition because you need to pay me before I give you more. Um, so they had to try to find another vendor to give them ammunition. And they almost ran out of ammunition because all the other vendors were like, we know we're not gonna get paid 18 months to a year, uh, six, six to 18 months. We're not gonna lend you, give you money, give you ammunition. Um, they finally found a little vendor in Indiana who would take their credit, um, but you know they had to pay a premium for it. Um, and then if you're, uh, ret uh, a retire if you're on the state's health care system, so this is state employees, teachers, except for Chicago teachers, um, retired teachers or retired state people, if you go to the doctor, you have to pay up front for your health care. And then the state will reimburse them. If you have a an operation, you either have to, you know, if I need a knee surgery, I have to gather $5,000 and pay up front to the doctor in the hospital, and then the um, state will reimburse them, and then they will reimburse me. If the state is willing to take the credit, it gets to a point where they're like, the state, the, if the hospital says, oh, I, I ran into a former um, retiree who said, well, I got knee replacement. They didn't make me pay up front, but after the, the state didn't pay the hospital for three months, they put me on a payment plan and they had to pay the state until the, to pay the hospital until the state reimbursed them. So those are personal things that are happening right now in the state of Illinois because they have not been balancing their budget for decades. Yeah. One thing I can guarantee is that these teachers probably don't have the money to pay those hospital bills. Um, yeah. And so then they're delaying service, service, uh, you know, necessary surgeries on necessary health care um, because the state is not paying them. Yeah. So when is this system of just nonsense going to break, do you think? Well, I, as I said, those examples, I think, are showing um, that it is breaking already. Um, and, um, you know, Illinois, you know, as I say, they can't go to the market to borrow money right now. And the, the current crisis is kind of highlighting that all of this is going on in most states. We found our, um, we do a financial state of the states every single year. We found that only 39 states had, a, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, only 11 states had true rainy day funds, had enough money. Um, they, didn't, they didn't have debt. The 39 other states uh, cumulative were $1.4 trillion in the hole. Um, so they didn't have the money they needed. Um, 
going into this crisis. And um, now, you know, they're just begging for Washington to give them a bailout or they're using the Federal Reserve um, vehicle in order to borrow money. Um, and, you know, is the Federal Reserve kind of messing with state powers because, you know, you have these state balanced budget requirements, but if the Federal Reserve comes in and helps them, um, it kind of allows the state to go in debt and the balanced budget requirements are there. So they couldn't, can't go into debt. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand uh, what the Federal Reserve really is and how it's actually a private institution um, that has power over the issuance of money. Um, uh, there's this famous quote by uh, Mayor uh Rothschild, not, not like mayor elected official, his name was mayor. Um, oh. He says, permit me to issue and control the money of a nation and I care not who makes its laws. Um, that idea of our democracy being uh, vulnerable to issuance of money is a pretty terrifying uh, thought that these states, their only, uh, only way out either is to exist or cease to exist, kind of like you're talking about where people don't give them the things that they need um, to continue to operate like ammunition for police or, you know, cars or gasoline or, you know, whatever. Um, their only way out is to go to this private institution um, that has a pretty uh, sketchy history to say the least um oh man <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and are they and you know i'm not a lawyer I, it just seems like there's something amiss here because you know the balanced budget requirements you know allow the debt it's sort of like well we're well we, we understand that governments sometimes need to borrow but um we're going to limit that to you know the market um and you know so therefore if the market is you know thinks that they're credit worthy uh then they'll lend them money um but now you know now that's you know now they don't even have to worry about being credit worthy they can go to the federal reserve um and you know the 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 i know that my research director bill bergman um was um he was concerned because um in order to borrow the money from the federal reserve the state of Illinois had to say that they were fiscally um, solvent. Well, are they really fiscally solvent if they have, you know, $226 billion of bills where they have no idea where they're going to get the money to pay those? Um, and, but the governor signed that, that letter that, yes, we are fiscally solvent. Um, and to throw the Federal Reserve into the, you know, the mix of financing states and local governments is, um, I, th I think, again, expanding government beyond what people want it to be because they're able to get this money um, and, and use it. And, and you know, Illinois, it, it wasn't like, you know, they, you know, it wasn't like, okay, we're in horrible financial, you know, situation, we're in a pandemic, we're gonna cut costs, we're gonna, you know, uh, hold um, salaries level, um, they did nothing. They, they, they continued to keep a salary increase. They didn't go to the agencies and say, you need to cut costs. Um, they put in their budget, in their balanced budget, they put a line that says, you know, 
$5 billion um, we're going to borrow or we're going to get from the federal government or from the Federal Reserve. Um, and so they're not, they didn't tight their, tighten their, their belts at all. They just continued um, going. And, and they, th there is a salary raise that is automatically in place and they didn't go, well, you know, these are tough times. We need to pull that back. Um, they're just counting on the Federal Reserve and the federal government to give them money. Money printer goes burr. That's the, been the meme of 2020. <laughs> um, man, so looking at this coming election, uh, it doesn't seem like there's any hope of addressing these issues and that the only uh, way forward is increased uh, government spending. Um, the, the amounts, you know, when I honestly, when I got into this, you know, decades ago, um, you know, we were concerned that they were running, you know, a $200 billion deficit. We were like, oh my God, you know, now um, I saw some report where, well, if a Biden is elected on um, the deficit will be 4.8 billion, trillion, T, trillion. Um, and if Trump is elected, it might be 5 trillion. Um, it's just gotten out of control. And, and people are sort of like, well, yeah, and we can borrow money and, and, you know, and it's always worked and da, 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 da. And, you know, and, and that's what everybody thought during the housing market, you know, rise every, you know, housing prices always go up and we're always going to be able to get our money back. And when, when it crashed, it, you know, there were a few people like us saying, hello, things are going to go bad, um, but not a lot of people. And then overnight it crashed. Um, and I've also talked to two accountants, one who was in an Eastern European country and one who was in, um, I think, either Venezuela or Argentina. And um, when they were having financial issues and they said, yeah, you know, people understood and we were pointing out and other were pointing out that things were bad. But overnight, things got really bad, um, and they crashed overnight. Um, so that's what scares me is, you know, what if, you know, what if um, other countries say, no, we're no, we're no longer going to buy your treasury bonds, um, you know, and what if, you know, and then, then the printing presses will have to go any higher. And people, you know, as they're counting on this social security, this limit amount they're getting, or they're counting on government services, all the cost of their, you know, the products that they're buying are going to go up as this inflation happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what's really uh, unfortunate about this whole financial crisis and, and pandemic is that the rest of the world is hurting really, really bad and are in similar positions as the United States. Um, so in some degree that offers us some security because uh, for you know, whatever reason, um, we're seen as we're the, the best of the worst. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. There's there's no better place. You know, and I think that's why you know we're we're they're they're able to you know bar, you know to, to run these huge deficits because people don't have a better place um, to put their money in. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, it's it's scary. Yeah. But th that being said, I think it, what you're talking about is happening faster than people realize. Like China uh, said at some point this year that they're dumping a bunch of treasury bonds, uh, which is a pretty terrifying, you know, one of the biggest markets in the world is going to be um, not willing to buy our uh, sovereign debt in the same way. 
Um, and it, that might be a growing trend. There's definitely to make th matters worse. There's, you know, these currency wars being waged where lots and lots of nations are trying to attack the, the U S um, reserve currency. I think they're rightfully doing so because we've, we've done quite a number on the rest of the world, but uh, yeah, the, the examples of Venezuela and Argentina are really, really interesting. Um, I was listening to a podcast uh, with a CEO, the CEO of the company MicroStrategy, who had a million dollars that within weeks turned into 80 grand in, in Argentina because of capital controls and, uh, and hyperinflation. Um, and so what we could potentially see is just like people's wealth being wiped out in a way that's just unprecedented. Um, so, yeah. Um, and, and people just don't think it will happen. And, but, but again, I want people, you know, if they experience the housing market crisis, just think of the mentality before that happened where everybody mm -hmm. just, everything was fine and everything was going to be good. And we've always had it this way and prices always go up and, and then overnight it crashed. Um, so unfortunately, are we, are we setting ourselves up for, you know, and that was just the housing industry. You know, if, if we're looking at the whole U.S. economy um, crashing like that, um, you know, and, and if you think about the deficits, if, if, you know, previously when we were running, you know, th you know, uh, half trillion, three, you know, we were borrowing, you know, how much of our, how much of our government spending are we borrowing? And if that money went away, you know, what would we do? You know, we would have to immediately make huge cuts if that, that money went away um, and, or, you know, have, have the Federal Reserve buy our debt and then, you know, inflation would go up. I, you know, on our truthandaccounting.org website, I have a, an old, uh, referred to an old article called the two doomsday scenarios, which is, you know, hyperinflation um, or, you know, that we can't borrow any money. And those, both scenarios are not good. No, no, they're not. So, so um, we talked a little bit about hyperinflation. What, what would it look like if we couldn't uh, borrow any money? Well, again, a very large part of our budget is, you know, like right now, okay, you know, we're running, you know, we, what are we at? Two trillion, three trillion, we're probably at $3 trillion debt deficit. We'll probably run another, you know, three to $5 trillion next year. Well, imagine that deficit means that we're borrowing that money. Well, if people aren't willing to buy that money, uh, you know, buy those bonds, then we wouldn't be able to spend that money. So all the money that we, we've been using to help people, you know, small businesses, to help with PPE, to help with healthcare because of the pandemic, we wouldn't be able to borrow that money. And, and what, what would we do? Um, so, you know, and, and just in a normal budget, um, as I say, during a normal budget, we're borrowing between a third and a half of it. You know, if we had to cut the federal budget during normal times between 50 30 to 50%, that would be a huge percentage um, and people would not get, you know, the benefits that they're, they're counting on that's, and that some people need to um, survive. Yeah. So without any sort of radical change um, in the near future, it sounds like we're just on a collision course for chaos, more so than we've even seen. 
Yeah, and I just, I don't see, you know, even in the state of Illinois where things are bad and people are finally, you know, we've been shouting for years and people are just like, oh, what is that pension stuff? And why do you keep on mentioning this? And, you know, we're doing fine. Um, and, and even though now they can see the, the adverse effects, I don't sort of see them going, oh my gosh, you know, we've been, we've been not living responsibly. We need to change our ways. I, I don't see that. Um, I, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, I don't think things will change until, you know, crisis, huge crisis happens. Um, and, you know, I hate to say that, but that's the way it looks um, in most of these governments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been, uh, I've been really blessed uh, personally to be in a community of people that really has a hopeful outlook on the future. Um, but that outlook doesn't uh, include um, uh, the, a lot of pain um, coming forth soon. So uh, what my podcast is, is, you know, educating people about uh, financial literacy, and then also talking about things like Bitcoin and uh, um, uh, yeah, Austrian economics, especially, uh, which is kind of funny because I'm in school for a Keynesian economics degree right now. But um, I'm I'm currently reading. Um, are you familiar with uh, Murray Rothbard at all? No, I'm not. So Mur Murray Rothbard, he's a um, kind of a famous economist uh, that uh, is of the Austrian or was of the Austrian persuasion. And he's kind of the father of uh, um, American libertarian thinking. Uh, I, I might be wrong on that, but he had a major influence on it. But one of the things he talks about, he, he wrote this book that I'm reading right now called uh, what has the government done to our money. And uh, one of the things he talked about is how um you know, for money to really work, it has to be uh, outside of government. It has to be uh, universal currency, um, and uh, it has to be determined by the free market. And so, you know, gold has taken that role for um, the majority of human history. You know, people taking gold and uh, uh, minting coins in it, but in our digital uh, world today, it's not really possible to do that in the same way. It's hard to transact in large portions of it. Um, whereas Bitcoin, you know, has a lot of similar uh, uh, properties as gold as being verifiably scarce. Um, have you ever uh, looked into Bitcoin or digital currencies? No, that's something that I haven't studied, um, you know, as, as you're talking about the inflation and the Bitcoin um, and the CPI and things like that. Um, you know, we do have an economist on our staff called named Bill Bergman, and I think it would be very valuable for you to do a follow up interview with him. Um, he he gets those type of things. I, I'm in the accounting realm and, and uh, you know, it, it's the, that's all above my pay grade. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, there's this uh, accountant in Bitcoin that I really like. His name is uh, Pierre Rochard, and uh, he might be an interesting guy for you to to look into. But he loves to audit everything. This is like a specialty. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, so what, what do you think would be some good resources for people, uh, just normal people to learn about money and, um, you know, what to do in a crisis like this? Well, um, you know, we've gone ahead and, you know, to be self-serving, you know, our website provides them uh, with websites, provide them with information about their governments um, and, you know, how much debt. So as people are, you know, maybe um, considering moving out of a, a certain state because they're not financially um, sound, um, you know, you can go to our data-c website, uh, look at each individual state, state, see how they're doing financially. You can go to um, create your own charts um, and 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 look at the uh, look at data, not just our financial data, but look at housing prices, look at um, voting records, look at um, you know. Uh, not to insult the number the attorneys in your audience, but um, you know we we find that the the we have a data point called the the number of attorneys in a state, and we do find that the more attorneys you have in a state, the worse financial shape you're in. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously, um, if you're in a bad state, um, then um, your roads are worse. We find that as part of our data series. Uh, we also find that if a state isn't in good financial shape. Um, the doctors who take Medicaid, new Medicaid patients are less. So, you know, so it hurts people, you know, who need those services. Uh, they can't find a doctor because the doctor um, isn't getting paid on time. Um, so they're from the state um, for me their Medicaid um, expenditures. So fewer doctors are taking that. So, um, and, you know, and then you can also see, you know, we did have 11 states um, you know, Alaska, Wyoming, Utah, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Tennessee, states that are, you know, before the crisis were doing well. Um, and so you can look at those states also um, and, and look at also if you're moving to a metropolitan area, you can look at, okay, you know, if I move to the Chicago area, um, you know, how much debt, you know, we calculate that between the city debt, the school district debt, the CTA, you know, transportation authority, um, the county, the state, each person who moves into Cook County has um, a credit card that is already charged $128,000. These are taxes that they're going to they're gonna have to pay to cover debt that's already been incurred. Um, so, you know, you might want to move to a city that, you know, doesn't have so, you know, so much debt. Um, and, and so, you know, those, those are valuable, valuable resources. Um, and then just going to each individual state or city's financial state of the states um, and looking at, you know, has our, does the state truly or city truly balance its budget? Um, we, you know, is a valuable tool also. Yeah. Yeah. I heard Wyoming pop up there and uh, that place seems yes. like a, yes. a pretty, pretty yeah. safe yeah. spot to be. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, I think about Wyoming myself. Um, you know, I, I do ski, so maybe Jackson Hole, but, uh, mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> you know, uh, um, yeah, we're, we, you know, we, we have not chose wisely as, uh, as Indiana Jones uh, movie. <laughs> you did, we did not choose wisely on where to live, you know, living in Cook County, living in Chicago, living in Illinois. Um, it, it's not a, not a good, uh, not a good choice here. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things when I go and visit my family in Cook County that always just astounds me is taxes <laughs> and how high they are. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it, it's not just, you know, the 
it's, it's income taxes, property taxes. Then last year, I think they raised fees and other things by like $3 billion. So it was your licensing fee went up, your driver's license fee. They just did tons of fees that went up also. So um, it, it's between taxes and fees. You, you're, you know, you're into a, a lot of debt here. And, but you know, they have to do something to pay for the costs that they've already incurred. Yeah. The one that drives me crazy is the toll roads, paying taxes when you drive. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, those, you know, uh, uh, the Chicago Tribune here has been doing a huge series on uh, because, uh, um, you know, they need money. So now the legislature is trying to change the Constitution here um, so they can um, tax the wealthy more than at a higher percentage um, than the than other people. Um, so, um, right now the constitution says that they have a flat tax. They, you know, they have to use the same percentage for everybody. Um, the legislature and the governor have put an amendment on the next ballot to, uh, to change that. So, you know, the legislature can, you know, um, so the, as they say, the wealthy pays their fair share. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, um, and, uh, but the tribune has been saying, well, you know, fool me once, fool me twice. People, you were told that the toll roads were only going to last for a number of years. We're decades beyond that, but you're still paying tolls. Um, you were also told that you know the education uh, fund was going, education was going to be funded by the lottery. Well, that's not happening. Um, you know, you've been told by these you know people, these people who you know are running your finances uh, and not doing it, and, you know, and doing it poorly that. Uh, you know, we need more money that we've been balancing our budget. Every year they say they balance their budget, um, but that's not true. Um, so can you really trust them with additional revenue uh, coming in? Um, or, you know, should you not really give them any more money until they fix things? You know, they, they, didn't, they didn't propose constitutional amendment to um, change the balanced budget requirement that has allowed them to say the budget's balanced. Um, and, but they're 20, you know, they've had a balanced budget. They aren't going into debt, right? No, they're 26, $226 billion in the hole while they balance the budget. Well, let's fix the balanced budget clause so you can't do that. Or let's fix the pension clause um, so we could, you know, once somebody starts working here in Illinois, you can't change their benefits at all. Um, even if you can't afford benefits, you still have to pay those employee benefits um, you know, it, from the day that they go on, whatever pension system you have, whatever benefit structure you have, you have to pay them. If the legislature goes ahead and enhances benefits, um, even if you can't afford those enhanced benefits, you still have to pay those. Um, so maybe change the balanced budget uh, pension clause. Um, but instead, they are trying, you know, in, instead of, you know, doing a comprehensive package trying to fix everything in the constitution they're just saying you know here's a tax hike amendment give us more money yeah yeah the thing i i take a lot of issue with the wealth tax uh i'm not wealthy i'm just a poor college student but i take issue with uh, a wealth tax because it's almost punishing people that produce value in society um and what it doesn't adjust or account for is that we have a system where wealth is extracted um, from people. Uh, 
and it's it creates a stratification of wealth that we're seeing today the income inequality when you have things like inflation um and and the way our tax system works is just like nonsensical the you know when um a majority of taxes are 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 taken from uh income taxes and you know wealthy people um you know own shares and and companies and 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 they don't uh get taxed in the same way it's it's just rather it's rather silly and you know i think like the ultimate solution would be to reward people that produce value in society and uh for people that destroy value instead of rewarding them um through uh you know, for being closest to the money printer or close to having a banking charter, you know, whatever it is to, um, you know, really, uh, if they destroy value, then they, they reap what they sow instead of benefiting from it. But I think it also makes it so people, um, that they can expand government, um, without accountability, Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, if I go ahead and expand government and I raise taxes on this very small part of the population, well, you know, that's not a majority of the taxpayers. So this small part of the major tax, you know, population who are paying taxes can't go, hold it, you're, you're being inefficient with this money. You, you know, you need to be held accountable for this money. And then you have this other part of the population, which is a majority, and they're saying, well, we want more goods and services. We want more goods and services. And they vote for the people who give them more goods and services. And so then government spending just gets out of control because they're trying to, you know, they're, they're almost like all the elected officials, whether they're Republican or Democrat, are trying to one up. Okay, well, they're giving them this benefit. Um, and only the small part of the population is paying for it. So they're not going to vote us out of office if we keep on expanding this and making this more. Um, and, and you lose accountability. You, I think you hurt your uh, representative forms of government because the, the majority can vote to tax a minority. And then you also lose the majority where they're like, you know, well, maybe, you know, I shouldn't be as wealthy. I shouldn't, I shouldn't try to do as well. I shouldn't try to help our economy. Um, because I'm getting, um, as you mentioned, I, I, I'm getting penalized for helping the economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really going to screw up the incentive structure and chase people out. Um, did you say that you have a book? Uh, we Every year we do the financial state of the state, so um, that's on our website. Um, and, and I have not done a book yet, but my, my team always wants me to, um, they're always like, why do you not have a book? Um, you know, I, my, the title, the working title would be complicit, complacent, or conspiracy, you know, um, is, you know, are these all bad financial situations happening? Cause people are, you know, complicit, you know, are they just complacent or is there actually a conspiracy causing all of, all of this financial, uh, issues to happen? Yeah. Well, if you ever get that going, let me know and I'll uh, be the first person to pre-order it. For sure. <laughs> Thank you. Where, Thank you. So, so you talked a bit about uh, the website. Uh, where are some other places that people can follow your work? Um, well, we, we just have the two websites, uh, truthandaccounting.org, uh, data-z.org. Also, we issue um, on those websites, you can sign up for what we call morning call, um, which our research director, Bill Bergman, um, 
quote, aggregates, that's that new term you guys use, aggregates the, the most interesting federal, state, and local government budgeting and accounting stories um, and puts them out in a daily email. We also use that when we release our financial state of the states. Um, next month, we're going to do a transparency score for the states. Um, as soon as the federal financial statement comes up, we'll do a financial state of the union. Um, and um, in January, we will release the um, financial state of the cities. All of those releases are announced in our morning call. So you'll be you know, up to date on when those are coming out. So you can just go to sign up for those and it will come from, again, Bill Bergman, our research director, um, and you'll get a daily email to keep you up to date. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Sheila. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, me too. And as I say, I really encourage you to uh, bring, um, I'll mention it to Courtney, to uh, bring our uh, economist Bill Bergman on. I think you guys will have a lot of fun talking about CPI. Oh, and the Federal Reserve. Don't even get them started with the yeah. Federal Reserve. <laughs> um, so you'll have a lot of fun talking about that with Bill Bergman. Yeah, well, I look forward to it. Man, if that conversation didn't make you bullish on Bitcoin, I don't know what else will. It sounds like from what she was talking that the government is just going to run us into the ground and i think we all know that but this puts some pretty cold hard data behind it um she had some really awesome examples our, our governments are broke and it is uh really scary to see that probably the only thing they'll ever do in the future is continue to become more and more insolvent um but yeah, uh, she also has some uh, work on YouTube if you want to search for her. Uh, just really good comedy. She's a very, very intelligent woman and it was awesome having her on. But yeah, if you like the work that I'm doing at Tucson Blockchain, it'd be awesome if you could support me by uh, subscribing to the podcast, leaving reviews, commenting, liking, you know, doing that whole thing. It does a lot to uh, get me out there in regards to the algorithms um and you could also donate bitcoin to me uh tucson blockchain is our mission like uh hers is just to empower normal people to make more informed decisions uh, so yeah thanks for stopping by